This is Untying Knots. I'm Rustin Hamilton. This is a podcast about telling stories, finding things in our lives that have interest and value, and they may, may be big things, they may be small things, but they are stories that have meaning to us personally that, frankly, we would like to inflict on the rest of you. <laughs> and I would like to introduce, really, the person who came up with this concept and, and our, our primary storyteller here, and this is Bronwyn Weaver, a good friend of mine. And Bronwyn, talk a little bit about how you came up with the idea of untying knots. Thanks, Rustin. I'm I'm so excited that we're actually getting started with this podcast. We've talked about it really for the last two years. It's evolved. And as we have talked about what we think would be important to share, the value that it could have for anyone else besides the two of us, these are stories that have really shaped our lives. We both love storytelling. I grew up reading aloud uh, with my parents. I was the youngest of four girls. I was really all by myself growing up on our farm. I was the youngest by far. And reading out loud was what we did in the evenings. We read everything voraciously. And as I grew up, I, I really was filled with the characters in the newspaper, in the in the stories, uh, the books that we read. And I fostered, or, or that life really fostered a desire for me to want to live a life uh, that was full of my own stories. Well, we, you know, we've had the privilege, I guess, you and I, of doing a lot of things in our past, going mm-hmm. to a lot of different places. And as we've talked about our stories and, you know, we've, we've shared them with each other. We've shared them with friends. There are people who might be listening to this and they're like, yeah, I've heard that one multiple times before. Just a few people in our, in our circle, (laughs) but they have, they all have value. And I think there's, you know, and everyone who's listening to this, you have your own stories as well. Our stories are not necessarily any better or different than your own. We just want to put a spotlight on our own personal histories that we can learn something from. And we may be able to learn something from you as well. And we'll talk about that at a future date. But I would like you to start our first podcast here with a great story you have that comes from Tennessee during your time living there. So why don't you, uh, whenever you're ready, why don't you get started? And you know, Rustin, one of the things that I've really been thinking a lot about, I guess I would love it if... During the course of listening to this podcast, we can kind of create a sense of community, not only between us, but with the people listening to us. Because slowing down to listen to each other's stories, to be really living in the present, to be all in with sharing experiences and sharing those things that have helped shaped us, I believe it's really more important than ever before. So I just wanted to mention that that's one of the hopes that we have with untying knots. So let me begin. My life has had many chapters. My Middle Tennessee chapter has two parts. The first came when I went to school there for my last two years of high school. It was a boarding school that the editor-in-chief of the Wall Street Journal had attended. 
He had written about his experience of learning Latin and Greek in high school, and my parents were sold. Although the school didn't teach Greek anymore, it seemed to be a perfect fit. So my dad and I headed to Tennessee with a truckload of books. While I went to school, dad started a used bookstore in the little railroad town of Bell Buckle, home of the Webb School. That chapter involved dad's bookstore serving hot chocolate, having poetry readings, a Hungarian Latin teacher, and where I learned to play poker listening to Prairie Home Companion with my 20-something teachers on the weekends. The second part of my chapter in Middle Tennessee came much later in my life. Our youngest daughter had been impressed with my old high school when our family visited for a class reunion, so impressed that she was determined to go there too. Because she got a scholarship that made it possible, I found myself back in Middle Tennessee. It happened to come in a time in our lives that we were in the middle of a lot of change anyway, so it just seemed to fit. My mother had just passed away. I'd spent the last 18 months virtually living with her. My experience was like what it is for most people in those circumstances, an experience where you don't want to miss a minute of it, but it's the hardest thing you've ever experienced, caring for somebody and letting them go. So with the support of my wonderful husband, when our daughter wanted to go to Tennessee, I ended up doing just what my dad had done 25 years earlier. We packed up a carload, found a place to rent so that Grace could be a day student at the Webb School. And so my second Tennessee adventure began. It was a particularly icy morning, especially in Tennessee. Unlike Ohio, where we all just go no matter what the icy conditions are like, in Tennessee, everything shuts down. It just stops. No one attempts to go anywhere. But I was determined that morning to go visit a horse barn that I'd read about. The sun was shining brightly and everything was sparkling. Every tree limb, every briar bush along the side of the road was covered with a thin layer of ice. So I started out just like I had planned to, to visit Bobby McNatt's barn. Just needed to do something healing to invest back in myself, something that didn't have a financial gain tied to it, something that wasn't for anybody else, just for me. I look back now and I realize that I was completely used up. I had no buffer for my work or my family. I'd just run out of juice. And so my solution was to check out horse riding again. I wanted the peace that comes with horses. It turned out that I was pretty cavalier about setting out on my journey that morning. The icy conditions that I thought were nothing compared to those that I regularly dealt with in Ohio got dicier as I got further and further into the countryside. I was white-knuckling it, holding the steering wheel in a death grip. I hadn't counted on no salt trucks being out. I had to drive at a crawl on those icy mountain roads. Maybe my first lesson was just learning to relax. I couldn't keep my eyes on the road. Everything sparkled that gorgeous morning. My GPS worked intermittently because of the lack of signal in those hills, and I made a couple of wrong turns, but eventually found my way into a beautiful long valley. The road that followed that beautiful creek I remember thinking, maybe they call it a crick, like my dad would have. He was raised in southern Ohio in an area not unlike this, and they 
they called them cricks. In the heart of that valley, a crooked sign pointed to the McNatt barn. There was a small house with a cherry red tin roof. I drove past it to the horse barn. As I got out of my car and walked up towards the barn, a surprised-looking man about 10 years older than me, wearing a McNatt farm ball cap, came out to greet me. I would soon find out that this sweet-hearted man was a sage about all things horses. I would learn over the next six months about not only riding gated horses, but tending to wounds, learning how to manage the most treacherous riding conditions I'd ever experienced, how to handle my new beautiful horse, who to this day has so much spirit that after 12 miles she's just getting warmed up. My new friends, good old Tennessee gentlemen, Bobby and Dale, would take me along with them to get calves castrated, to fix fences that always needed fixed. I'd learn about going to the heart of Amish country just over the state line in Alabama every week to get seven horses shooed, working our way through Bobby's large herd, all of those horses being trained to become someone's beautiful, smooth-gated riding companion. That first day, Bobby really didn't know what to make of me, and certainly neither did his wife, Sharon. She was pretty concerned about a woman coming to the barn to talk to Bobby. She was on his heels to check me out and was visibly relieved when she saw I was wearing a wedding ring. After she said hello, she asked me if she could clean my rings. I I was so startled. I found myself taking off my wedding ring and handing it to this complete stranger. She scuttled off to the house, and it really did go through my mind that I may never see my engagement ring again. But I went along. In fact, I went along with everything over the next six months, going to the barn nearly every day. I wanted the peace that came with being in that barn. I wanted to have manual things to do like feeding horses, grooming them, even cleaning out stables. I found joy in being useful. The experience over the next six months working in Bobby McNatt's barn restored my my whole being. Learning from these Tennessee wise men healed me. I'll always be grateful that they were so kind to accept me and to take me into their trust. My husband would come down on the weekends, and and we would go down to the barn to ride. With him around, it'd it'd be a little different. The guys at the barn would be so happy to see him, a new person to tell their stories to and to tell their jokes to. I guess it helped reassure them that I wasn't such an oddball. It helped them to fit me into the category of a married woman, something that (laughs) that they could identify with. But... When my husband Bob left on Monday, I'd be able to slip into the role of being just one of the guys at the barn. I didn't realize how many things were tests for me that first month. I guess I passed the test of being a good listener, asking thoughtful questions and just trying. Everybody had so much to teach me. The horses, even, had a lot to teach me. Beautiful animals looking at you with trusting eyes, waiting to respond to you, action for action, glance for glance. I can close my eyes now, and and I'm standing inside that barn, the smell of fresh sawdust filling the air, my mare standing next to me. The mare Bobby knew would be just right for me. I knew right away that I'd name her Lovejoy. When I first got on Lovejoy's back, under the watchful eye of Bobby McNatt, my legs were shaking, my hands were sweaty, Bobby told me to take a deep breath 
Instead of reass- being reassuring, he was, he was matter of fact. He didn't give in to my anxiety. And by doing that, he made all the difference. I had to get a grip. I had to listen to him and be totally in the moment. I didn't have time to think about what I was worried about. I didn't have time to wallow in my fears. I needed to just get on with it. And I could feel love joy relax as I started to. It was validation. For me to be successful with horses in this new place in my life, I needed to be totally in the present, listening, learning, all in. That's a great story. Mm-hmm. And, and I kind of get the feeling, Bronwyn, that we're only hearing like a part of it, right? I mean, this is kind of uh, the, the way I'm, I'm viewing this. And I know a little bit about the background because you and I are friends and we've talked a little bit about it. But, but this, is kind of, this is kind of one of those stories where you shared the ending that, of, of what this was able to do for you physically and mentally and so forth. But there's, there's, there's a lot there, isn't there, that we're probably going to still hear about. Hmm, yeah, yeah. And to dig into some of these characters, it, it, it was in so many ways maybe the most amazing experience that I had because of the, the contrast. When I began this journey in Middle Tennessee, this that trip down to Bobby McNatt's barn, I the contrast of where I was then and where I ended up really feeling restored and healed and confident again. I don't know how I would have gotten from one stage to the other stage without that experience. And and I know you and I even knew each other during Mm -hmm. that time, but it was a period in my life where I really became withdrawn and I was just all in my head and, and that experience helped me get out of my head a little bit. So talk a little bit more about, well, how you got into your head a little bit. I mean, you talked mm-hmm. about, you know, you were, you had, had, had moved to where your mother was before she passed away. There was, I just remember that time period. There was a lot of moving going on. Yeah. Oh. You know, you guys were living in Illinois, right, at the yeah. time. Yeah. You were coming back to Ohio quite a bit. Now you're going to Tennessee, the biggest client that you were working with is in Pennsylvania, yeah, I believe, and so yeah. forth. And sometimes you were staying, you were staying there quite a bit too to help take care of them. So maybe talk a little bit about for our our listeners here, how you kind of got to where you were when you really realized that you needed a change. Well, I I was living out of a suitcase, and uh, because of where my daughters were uh, in their going to school life and. My husband's work was taking him all over the place, too. It was like all of us were living out of a suitcase. And, uh, yeah, I was taking care of my mother, who at 93 and a half, her health was failing, and it was failing pretty quickly. But we had promised that we'd take care of her and she could live in her home as long as she could. And I was the daughter that was probably the most flexible so that I I ended up staying with her most of the time. And it was bewildering. We weren't tethered to anything. We knew that ultimately we were going to be moving back to Ohio. We were kind of wrapping up a business that we had started in Illinois. We were 
doing consulting work. So you're right. Lots of, lots of moving parts. And in all of that movement, I had lost that sense of quiet, calm, peacefulness that I think without it, you really get untethered, you know? And so I was scrambling for figuring out what I could do while I was there in Tennessee. I knew that if I was just sitting around, I would be lost. And so, and, and, and that's what led me to looking online and finding a place where I could ride. Well, it seems like it's the combination of not only the people that you met, which let's face it, in that, you know, I don't know how else to say it, but in, in rural America, and especially a little bit more in the South, there is a there is a more relaxed way of living amongst a lot of people and that, you know, we don't probably see as much as we used to, frankly, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, we, in fact, growing up, we we called it kind of a good old boy culture, you know, and that that has kind of a negative connotation now to some people. But it was really, you know, kind of a generation of of guys that, and maybe you can explain that just a little bit, since you were around some of those people probably growing up, and then around them as well. But people that just had a different way of looking at life, and they didn't get so worked up maybe over certain things. They enjoyed the simple things of life a little bit. But it, talk a little bit about that, the, 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 the characters that you brought into this. And, you know, maybe where did they come from? Oh, man, that is – they really were and, and still are to this day. They, they represent something that I, I think really is fading. And, and maybe because of COVID, maybe – there has been some renewed energy in really being part of a community in that connected kind of sense. They, they were connected by family history. They all knew each other's families and the extended family trees so that everybody could talk about whose second cousin was married to somebody else's second cousin and all of that. It was a a web of familial connections in that community. And they were connected over going to church. They were connected over tending to the cemetery. They were connected over music and potluck meals and really a sense of taking care of each other. When somebody was sick, everybody rallied around to make sure that they were taken care of and supported and visited and cheered up. Some of my favorite memories are of that front porch of the horse barn where there was this mixed matched set of chairs and benches and there were sticks all ready to be picked up and whittled, peanuts, shells kind of everywhere and cans of soda pop in the fridge and at four o'clock there would start being one or two people fill in the chairs. And by 4.30, there were six or maybe eight people sitting on those chairs, all telling maybe the same old jokes and same old stories, but But they only get better over time, right? (laughs) (laughs) Truly. 
You know, you mentioned something, I think, a little bit earlier in that maybe because of COVID, there's actually this return a little bit to maybe looking inward a little bit more and, and, and seeking a little bit more peace and calm with the generation that is younger than ours. And, you know, because, I mean, we've, we've really grown up with a very a hard work philosophy. And I know those, your characters in this story are hard workers as well. But sometimes I think we've taken it too far a lot of times where maybe there's something to appreciate. We can be very negative sometimes about the millennial generation and generation Z and so forth. And, and, you know, that's a whole nother thing altogether, but maybe what they're getting a little more right than we are is the fact that happiness matters, family matters, being able to chill out a little bit mm-hmm. matters as well. And that's something that that older generation seem capable of. Oh yeah. I mean, I feel that a lot of my career a lot of my life has been really thinking about the future, you know, and making sacrifices for the future and getting stressed out about the future and, and all of that. And, and to be in an environment, in a community that really was living in the present and appreciated a warm, sunny afternoon in the springtime when everybody was on that front porch enjoying listening to the peepers in the creek that ran through the valley and and enjoying just even the nuances of what the weather would bring and what the weather might be tomorrow and talking about just maybe things that I otherwise would have thought were trivial. But in that sense of living in the present and really living with the people that you were in relationship with, living with them in a day-to-day kind of way. It's, it is interesting because so much of what I do now is helping companies with their corporate culture. And I think just what you said, you nailed it, that the younger generations today are really demanding much more from their work environment, from their day-to-day interactions with people, I don't know if they really know what they're looking for necessarily, but I know that sense of community that I found in that group of good old boys would fill that longing that people talk about. Yeah. Well, the good news is, is we're going to be hearing more about these characters in the future. There's lots of stories to be told here. Um, I'll be telling a few. You'll be telling many and... For those who are listening, I can guarantee you that Bronwyn has a a lot to say, and it's worth listening to. I have some to say, and it's probably not as much worth listening to, but the stories will will be good. Some of them will be possibly sad. There's going to be some funny stuff in here, too. But all of it is going to be something that we we can derive something from. So we hope that you'll stay with us in the future as we start putting out more of these stories and uh, and we'll look forward to hearing more about Bell Buckle, Tennessee and, uh, and your experiences down there kind of during this life changing six months that you had. So we will be back soon with another story wherever you are listening from and through whatever service uh, you are listening to this program. Just make sure that you keep checking it out and we'll have more content soon. Thank you for listening. Thanks, Rustin. 
Bye. Thank you.